and the problems of the world. You're listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Our own hearts. And so that's where Paul begins this morning. You can see clearly in verse 18 that he begins with the wrath of God against the problems of the world. And that word is something we're going to have to meditate on this morning and think about because we're all probably going to hear it and have a different reaction to that word. And it might be something that uh, we might want to shy away from, that uh, the God that we would uh, declare is a God of love and grace and forgiveness would utilize that. But I know one of the things that takes place in in my own personal walk with Jesus, that as I uh, study the scriptures, if I'm being objective about myself so often, I pull God down to my level. And I know what the Bible would teach me is that I really need to elevate my own perspective and understanding that I need to lift my eyes up. But when I encounter different things that might rub against my own personal uh, angst and conviction, I know that intellectually I I reduce God to myself. And so that's one of the things we need to get around this morning in this idea of wrath that more than likely as we uh, conceive of that word and uh, what goes on behind that word, we might be trying to bring down God to our level. Because I know when I hear that word, I think about myself. And I, and I ask the question, how could, how could a loving God experience um, that part of me that I don't like? That when I don't get my way, some anger wells up within me. When uh, somebody wrongs me in some regard, this anger and maybe even uh, some violence might well up in my heart and my soul. And that's how I might uh, perceive that God is articulating here in his word. And I would just say, we are going to have to fight against that. That we need God to be the definer of these words and not my own experience and not my own emotions. Uh, J.I. Packer, the the pastor, he uh, said it like this in his book, Knowing God. He said, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. And so we do need to recognize in and of ourselves that uh, we might utilize that word or think about it in a certain way, but we really need to go to the scriptures, look to the God who defines all things for what this is actually talking about. And so uh, I love that the apostle James, he laid it out pretty clearly in his letter in the New Testament that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So there will be a clear distinction from the idea of God's wrath and the idea of human wrath. But Paul makes it very clear of what is wrong in the world today and how we got in this place. And this is what he said in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness 
and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So uh, Paul kind of breaks it down into two categories of what God's wrath is against. He says ungodliness and unrighteousness. And so, so often within the church, we talk about uh, the reconciliation of God to his creation, and we talk about it in two directions, that we are both reconciled vertically to the Father, a right relationship with God, but we're also um, reconciled vertically uh, to other uh, people who follow God, to um, humanity. We are supposed to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the wrath of God is revealed in those, both of those directions too. It's revealed against ungodliness, from a turning against the creator of the universe. It's revealed against that. And it's also revealed against unrighteousness, which that would be our behavior when we have turned against God, our behavior that affects the humanity that God loves. And God's wrath is revealed against both of those things. That is the condition we find ourselves in. Now, what is the cause? Paul lays it out. It says, men by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Truth is another interesting word to talk about in this day and age. It gets thrown about in a lot of different ways, and you'll uh, find lots of different, uh, dif different schools of philosophy to, that discuss and debate this idea of truth. And uh, throughout history, as the church has come around that, and uh, men and women who love Jesus, who want to articulate well the essences of our faith, uh, typically land in a camp of what we would say, how we view truth we would say we um, um, affirm a correspondence view of truth, which means that truth corresponds to reality. So it corresponds to what is. It is an objective view of truth, that truth is not something that is arbitrary to each person, but there is an objective truth out there in the universe today, and we would say that it corresponds to the reality that we live in. So this is interesting because it gets to the heart of what we're going to be talking about that Paul is saying that the root cause of the ills of humanity is a denial of reality. So he says, by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. And if truth is an objective reality in the world, it means some of the issues we are facing is a denial of reality. And so we should ask ourselves the question, what reality? And here's what I would say it is. The reality of the universe is God is. God is. And that's how God actually declares himself in the Old Testament. If you can think back to the story of Moses with the burning bush, and Moses says, who should I say is sending me? God makes the statement, I am. God is the only self-declaring being in the entire universe. He is the only one without beginning or end. God is. That is the ultimate reality of the universe. God is. And so as we look at these words of Paul, and he's saying that uh, these problems we find ourselves in, uh, the foundational level of our understanding of the gospel is that uh, men have suppressed the truth, and that has led to all of these issues. We need to make sure that we're clear this indictment is not a just against atheists, but there is an unreality that has transpired in the hearts of man that has put us in this position today. Look with me in verse 21. Because he says this, people suppress the truth. But verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. 
And so part of the issue we find today is not just a denial of the existence of God, but the reality that although we might have an understanding that there is a God, we suppress on our own hearts and our own minds what that actually means. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. A fundamental Christian principle is that God is knowable. And we can even uh, conceptualize, if you will, the fact that we could uh, think that there is a God is evidence to the existence of God. And the fact that people are so uh, dependent upon relationships, we can know that our God is knowable. He's not only knowable through his word that he has so graciously given us, but people have the capacity to look at the world and the universe around us and recognize a divine hand. And that's the argument Paul makes within these texts right here. If you would look again in verse 19 and following, this is what he says. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And so what Paul is laying out here is another argument that Christians have come around uh, for centuries is the idea of general revelation. So as we look into the word of God and trust that God has entrusted us with this message that he has spoken through his prophets and apostles and has been verified by the Holy Spirit over time, we would say this is special revelation, that it tells us the good news of Jesus Christ. But for all of humanity, there is the ability to look at the world around us and recognize the reality that there is something above it that is not me. That's what we would say is general revelation. And that's what Paul is saying right here. He says that what can be known about God is evident. And then he lists two things, eternal power, divine nature. So what he is saying here is that every single person has the ability to look out at the natural world and realize there is an order to the universe, that the sun comes up and sets every single day, that gravity is in existence every single day. We even still to this day express that idea of the order of the universe in the term of natural law. And so we need to be clear that people have the ability to recognize that, that if there is a law, there is a lawgiver. And if there is creation, that means there is a creator. In the same way that we would never look at a, a masterpiece of artwork and think to ourselves like, wow, that's a crazy coincidence that all those things just formed up like that. In the same way, we need to recognize that if there is something uh, above and beyond our reality, it points us to something larger behind it, and that reality is um, uh, the truth that corresponds to reality. The Bible is clear. They are invisible attributes of God, but it is enough to reveal to us the Creator. And so that's the argument Paul is making that throughout time and space that men are without excuse because if we look at the natural world, we can recognize like there is a way things are supposed to work. And people have come around that and we've compounded knowledge for centuries and centuries on how agriculture works and business work and human relationships work. There is clearly an order and structure to the universe and there should be a human response to turn to the eternal divine hand that is above and beyond all of that. 
But that's not what we do. And that's where the trouble begins to set in. Paul says this in verse 23 about people, that they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. People create God. What it ultimately comes down to, that what is broken in the human condition and what is in my heart and yours is I want to be in control. I want to be God. And so although we could clearly perceive that we are not in control of the world around us and what we, how we should respond is looking to the God who is in control of the world around us, but instead we suppress the truth, we deny the reality we live in, and we try to make a God that we can manage and control because we can see his eternal power and divine nature of the invisible God, but instead we worship lesser things. And so often that lesser thing is my own broken human desire. Uh, the philosopher Voltaire, um, who is an Enlightenment philosopher, not a Christian, uh, would have fallen into the camp of uh, a deist. He made uh, this observation about humanity. He says, in the beginning, God created man in his own image, and ever since then, man's been trying to return the favor. And I think that accurately describes what Paul's getting at and the conditions we find ourselves in. We have the glory of the immortal God, but we say, no, that's okay. I'll choose myself. And so Paul lists out two different exchanges that take place in the heart of man. One, he says that, he says we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. Then he also says that we exchange truth for lies. Because instead of submitting to the divine creator of the universe, we want self-determination. We want something we can control. We want something that feels tangible and manageable to ourselves. We don't want the invisible power of an all-creative God. We want something that we can manage instead. And this is not new for humanity. This is the story of the entire scriptures for what has gone wrong in the world. And you can see that transpire over and over again throughout the Old Testament and then even leading into the New Testament. And so uh, I was drawn this week back to the book of Judges because it describes this really well, what we do as people. And so in the book of Judges, the people of Israel have been called out for a while, but there's this reality that transpires that one generation follows God, one generation doesn't. And it's this uphill, downhill, over and over again, which is what I experienced in my very own life. But I love this statement that is made in the book of Judges. At one point it says this. It says, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. As I look at the world today, that's what it feels like so often to me. There is no authority in our world other than what I feel. That is such a dangerous place to be in and that's what we see Paul unpacking. And let, let me just be honest with you, I, I think that uh, definitely um, happens within the church. It happens within the people of God. It happens within my own heart that there are moments in times when, yes, I want everything that God wants and asks and has for me and then there are times that, that presses against that thing I really like or I really want and I choose myself over God that everyone will do what is right in their own eyes. Uh, towards the end of last year, we went to a conference as uh, a church staff and got to hear Dr. Tony Evans preach, and it was a, a phenomenal sermon. And, and he made this point, and I think it is good for us to recognize how this happens within the church, 
because he talked about um, um, our, our use of the Bible at times, and he, and he talked about how much, you know, definitely within the South, like, we, we love the Bible, uh, but the comparison he made that just really stuck with me is that uh, the Bible so often for us is kind of like the king or queen of England, you know, we respect it, we like to bring it out, it's nice for certain occasions, but at the end of the day, it has no decision-making authority in our lives. And so we do that so often, I find, within the church. There are moments and times where it seems convenient to us that we want to stand on the claims of the Bible until it presses on that certain area of my heart where I am submitting, uh, suppressing the truth. And in that moment, so often, I do what is right in my own eyes, versus submitting to the invisible God of the universe. And so this is the result. Uh, three different times, Paul makes the statement, God gave them up. I would encourage you to underline those just so you can reflect on what that means in your own life. Verse 24, verse 26, and 28, he repeats that phrase in three different sections. He says, God gave them up. Because what happens when we suppress the truth of who God is, what transpires is human desire becomes the guiding principle of our lives. And this is what he says in those three different sections. He says, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to dishonorable passions, and to a debased mind. And if I could break that down for us a little bit so maybe we can internalize the truth that Paul is getting to, that God has given up people who have rebelled against him to lust of their heart, it means it has had an effect on our affections. You know, I love that um, the promise of Scripture that is if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. But when we look internally for us being our own God, it's going to have a dramatic impact on the things we find affection for. The lusts of our heart. I love that the Apostle John, he warns us to not love the world or the things of this world because the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes are going to be what gets destroyed. But those who love the Lord will endure forever. God gave us up to dishonorable passions. When we do not recognize God as God, it's going to have an impact on our appetites. As I said, human desire can become our guiding principle in life. And what Paul unpacks there is that one of the biggest places we can see that take place is in the area of our own sexuality. And we know this is a, a prime spot for us as people to turn away from the Lord in so many different ways. And so he makes it clear and he would lay out and he does in other parts of scripture that any sexual immorality is going to do damage against our very soul. In fact, he puts it kind of in a special category in his letter to the Corinthians that he says, all other sins a man commits is outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And so this is um, a, a, a comprehensive area of our life when we do not honor God as God, it can lead to all forms of debauchery. And that um, definitely clearly shows here that homosexuality would be within that context of what Paul is saying is outside of the truth about God, but it wouldn't be limited to that because it would include a defiling the marriage bed, as he says in 1 Corinthians. It would be, include a, adultery or promiscuity or pornography. All of those things would come from suppressing the truth that God is the supreme being of the universe. He has given us up to dishonorable passions, our appetites, 
are going to change and crave things that God would say are not good. What ultimately takes place in our life when we suppress the truth of God in our sexuality is that we objectify people as objects for our own pleasure. The last category says God gave them up to a debased mind. If we are suppressing the truth of who God is, it's going to affect our assessments of what reality is in the world. So it uses this phrase that people become like fools. Verse 22 says that, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And so when we suppress who God is, it's going to have an incredible impact on our heart's affections, our body's appetites, and our mind's assessments of the world around us. And I think that's why the wisdom literature, if you've ever read through the book of Proverbs, makes this profound statement that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And if you know that Old Testament term, the fear of the Lord, it's not talking about terror, it's talking about awe and a recognition that God is so far above who I am as a created, finite being that when I recognize that reality, that it's the beginning of understanding. The trickle-down effect of not honoring God as God has an impact on every area of our life. And that's where Paul lands in verse 31. He uses four words to describe the condition of humanity when we do not honor God as God. Foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Psalm 41.1 says this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I think a reality that I have found both within my own heart, but then also as I have ministered to people, this idea of foolishness is saying, I want my way instead of God's way. That's what's listed over and over again in the book of Proverbs. Like, hey, there is this way that God has constructed for his people to walk in, but the fool says, no, I want this over here. And so what happens, I have found, especially in our context, where a lot of people have experience with the church, they have experience with the word of God, and maybe have uh, taken steps even towards that relationship that ultimately it'll come to this um, uh, kind of crossing point where they can clearly see the things of God, but then that thing that they want want. And when they choose that thing that they want, it brings in foolishness into their life. And so as they begin to pursue that desire over the things of God, what will transpire over time is ultimately they will reject God outright altogether. Now, a lot of times we try to walk that path at the same time, like, hey, I still want Jesus over here and on Sundays, but I still want this thing on the side. But if you carry that out far enough, if you continue to try to suppress some of the truth of Jesus while you live out some of the others, it's ultimately going to lead you down this path of foolishness because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Our foolishness, our choosing our own desires over the good things God has offered us will ultimately result in faithlessness. We will turn from God completely. Foolish, faithless, heartless. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. It's the foundational principle of what it means to be human. We know what love is because there is a loving God that created the universe. And when we deny him in our hearts and turn from him in rebellion, ultimately our capacity to understand what love is will be diminished. 
and that can lead to ruthlessness where we continue to see other people as objects to gratify our desires and don't uh, give them the honor and worthiness of being a created person in the image of God. Now, we could uh, look at this list and all these different descriptors that Paul gives of people and what they do to suppress God, the unrighteousness and the godliness, and I, I think we could just put it under one category as we look at that list of just godlessness. And I think it would be easy for us because I, I know so often we kind of uh, bemoan the world and society as being godless. We look out there at all those sinners and the mess they are jumping into and we would uh, affirm that. We would say that like, hey, this is just a godless society. That's what has taken place. And believe me, I do believe that all of society has been affected by what Paul is describing here. But what I also truly believe is that this passage is personal to me and it's personal to you. And I think that would be an accurate word for us this morning when we think about God's wrath being revealed against all unrighteousness. It is godlessness. It is the absence of God. The wrath of God being revealed is the lack of a relationship with the creator who made you. Because on the flip side of that, we would say the opposite of godlessness is godliness. And if you have that person in your life, you're like, man, that is a godly person. I look up to them. I respect them. It's not just a recognition that they are externally moral. It's a recognition of a closeness of relationship with Jesus. And so the wrath of God is revealed against godlessness. And that's how we experience that wrath is the absence of a relationship with our creator. As the prophet Isaiah said, it says your sins have made a separation between you and God. So I want you to recognize something this morning, that this passage is about you, and it's about me. It is about the world, it is about society, but, you know, as I read that list, I tick a lot of those boxes as well. And so we don't need to just project out there that God's wrath is against all those sinners because every single one of us is a sinner, and Paul's going to get into that in no uncertain terms, and he says that very clearly in his letter to the Ephesians, that we are all children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This passage is personal. This isn't about the world. This is about us. And so I want you to recognize any sin struggle you currently have is an act of truth suppression in your own heart that in some way you are denying the reality of God. If we believe in an objective truth, it means when we are, are stepping away from the things of God, it means we are denying a reality of the universe. And I truly believe that's why Jesus makes the statement that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Free from what? The wrath of God. And how is God's wrath dispensed? Relationally. There was a relationship that we were created for and when we have rejected God, we are separated from it. We have rejected God. God's wrath is earned. God's grace has been given. So the biblical narrative and what Paul is coming around is that uh, not suppressing the truth isn't an intellectual assent, it's the embracing of a relationship with Jesus. Because what did Jesus say about himself in his ministry? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so if we are looking at this list, um, what's important for us to realize this morning, if we are internalizing that this is for us, for me, not just for the world out there, it shouldn't be like, okay, I, I don't want to uh, be a slanderer, I don't want to be a gossip, I should obey my parents. It's not that. The opposite of su uh, suppressing the truth is embracing your relationship with Jesus Christ.
because also it is good for us to recognize as the people of God that if we are projecting this passage out on the world, and I do think it has a role to play in how we view society and what has gone on around us, what we do need to recognize that as we read this list is that consequences do not change anyone. Christ does. And so we need to understand what Paul is getting at and how this idea of God's wrath is um, uh, transpiring in the world around us. We need to remember that consequences don't change people. Jesus changes people. And so let's be clear about a couple of things. Let me uh, kind of foreshadow where we're going in the book of Romans. One, God has wrath. God is love. And there's a difference. There's eternal characteristics of who God is, and the Bible is very clear that God is love. God has wrath, but God is love. So how can we think about that? How do we know that God is love when we can see the unrighteousness around us, the suppression of the truth, my own propensity to turn from the things of God? How can I know and understand that God is love? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is the ultimate testimony to the pursuing love of God. And Paul is going to get there. You know, we are clarifying the gospel. We are making sure we all understand the state we find ourselves in, in the need that we have. And Paul's going to unpack that for the next couple of chapters. And a lot of you, you probably know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Paul makes the declaration, for the wages of sin is death, but it's all leading us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the opposite of suppressing the truth is embracing Jesus. And so I want you to look with me, not to borrow from some of our other sermons, but look in Romans chapter 5. Because Paul is going to continue to clarify this good news, the greatest of news that we have about Jesus. Verse 8 and 9 of Romans 5 says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness, but if you have placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus is your righteousness. That if we see the hurt and the brokenness around us, there is one solution. It is not to be a better person. It's to embrace the Savior, and through his life lived in you, you can experience the love, hope, forgiveness, grace of God. Our wrath is earned. God's grace is given through Jesus Christ. And my hope and prayer this morning is that nobody would walk away feeling condemned. That the message of the Bible is always one of invitation that most of us do not have a clear understanding of how sinful we are, and we definitely do not have a clear understanding of how big God's love is. And this morning is the opportunity to experience both. And I would just ask you to reflect on what the Bible clearly portrays as our own need, that we need a Savior that the mess of this world is a mess inside of me, that I have a heart that is wicked and deceitful above all else and prone to suppress the truth, but Jesus is the truth. Would you pray with me?
Father in heaven, help us to know and understand you, to experience an accurate view of your greatness, of your divine power, God, of your wisdom that you offer to your creation. And ultimately, God, help us to experience the life-transforming love of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, because we know that he came that we might have life and have life abundantly. God, so I ask for your help for us as a church that we would discover life in the power of your grace. God, that we would turn from the lies that we have believed and the lies we have acted out in our lives and we would embrace the truth. We would embrace Jesus. God, thank you that your, your, your uh, incredible goodness is shown in the rescuing of sinners through the sacrifice of your son. God, save us from ourselves, save us from this world. God, let your resurrection life be in us so that we would experience you. God,